Um, so Telma, where are we? We are in the recycling workshop at the Israel Museum. This is the youth wing, and uh, it's a wonderful place. That's Telma Schulz, who's been running the workshop for the last 30 years. I'm an artist, and I'm working especially uh, with uh, recycling materials. Is your necklace also from recycled materials? Yes, <laughs> this is from um, cereal box. And this is from tea. Tea bags? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. And my ring is from the... It's a computer key. Key, yes. Oh, that's so nice. On the second day of the Hanukkah vacation, I visited Telma in her kingdom, which is packed with jars and barrels and containers full of all kinds of repurposed objects. The idea is that the children, very young children, arrived with the parents, and there's a lot of materials that I collect from factories, and they can pick up whatever they want, fabric, walls, buttons, uh, plastic leftovers, and they could build their own art project. Telma gave me the tour. We have a toothbrush without the hair. We have um, string, I see here, fabric. String. And we have scotch for making the dishes, oh, yeah. cleaning the dishes. We have slides. Nobody used any more slides. I see here you have... Uh, Corks. <laughs> um, cups. Yeah, some soda bottle caps. Bottle caps. Um, oh, old floppy CDs, disks. Music disk. And they roll toilet paper. So it's, it's really like a, a, a laboratory for, for dreaming with materials. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's a great place to sit with the parents or with grand, grandfather, grandmother, and make things from um, recycling material. I agree. I used to come here all the time with my mom when I was a little kid. The idea came from the um, Children's Museum in Boston. The themes and activities in the recycling workshop are always tied into the exhibits that are going on in the museum. So the kids walk around the exhibit with their parents and then they come here and they create things that are inspired by what they've seen in the exhibit? Yes, yes, exactly. What kind of things do kids make? Uh, dolls and masks? And yeah, usually they like to make cars and robots and uh, dolls, flowers, uh, miniature things. It doesn't matter, because the kids that arrived, they see that instead of going and buying new stuff, new things, they can use, again, um, stuff that nobody needs. Hi. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? What's your name? Nathan. Nathan, how old are you? Ten years old. And what grade are you in, Nathan? Grade five. And what are you doing? I do a ninja. Is he going to have a sword, this ninja? I don't know. Can you tell me what, what you used to make this? Uh, Mom, you can also uh, participate if you want. Okay, What's your name? Nathan, my name is Stephanie. So Nathan is using lots of, uh, how do you say, fabrics, old fabrics. And he's trying to build, you know, because the subject of today's exhibition is uh, concerning the Indians in South America. So they're building little dolls with uh, little pieces of fabrics. And they tries to build the ninja, which is really nice. You know, it's a nice time together. Nice. And is this your brother? Yes. How old is he? 
am seven years old. Seven. What's your name? What's your name? And how many kids do you have? I have three kids. So where's the third? The third didn't get to come? It's my uh, teenager girl, so she prefers to, you know, to eat waffles with her uh, girlfriends and uh, to play together with her friends. So bon, I say, okay, for this year, uh, don't come with us if you want, <laughs> if you prefer. So what do you prefer, to do DIY art or to eat uh, waffles with your friends? Yeah, what? <laughs> G D Y. How do you say it? D I Y. D I Y. Okay, sorry. <laughs> hey, I'm Ishi Harman, and this is Israel Story. Israel Story is brought to you by Tablet Magazine and the Jerusalem Foundation. Our episode today: D I Y. Now, people often say that there's something about the concept of D I Y. Something about the confidence or chutzpah or ingenuity or hubris of doing it yourself that stands at the very core of Israel. And that might be true, but our episode today tells the story of what I think is the most inspiring, the most audacious, and most famous example of Israeli DIY in recent years. It's a story I'm sure many of you followed in real time, but perhaps never quite heard from this perspective. All right. Act 1, Yehud, we have a problem. Back in September 2007, Google announced a once-in-a-lifetime challenge, the Lunar X Prize. In what was often referred to as Moon 2.0, Google and the X Prize Foundation offered $20 million to the first privately funded group that would successfully land an unmanned rover on the moon, have it travel 500 meters on the lunar surface, and transmit images and videos back to Earth. There were prizes for the runners-up, and a bunch of smaller incentives, all geared towards getting a non-governmental spaceship to the moon ASAP. As I step off at the surface at Taurus Littrow, I'd like to dedicate the first step of Apollo 17 to all those who made it possible. It had been 35 years since humans had last walked on the lunar surface, and Google hoped that the Lunar X contest would spark the development of innovative and cost-effective technologies and inspire a new wave of private investment in space exploration. Teams started lining up for the challenge. They came from the US, Brazil, Canada, Japan, India, Chile, Germany, Italy, Hungary, Malaysia, Russia, Romania, and Spain. By December 31st, 2010, the last day to enter this new race to the moon, 31 teams had registered. But with hours left to join the competition, there was still one more team that would throw its hat in the ring. Judah Kaufman brings us their story, which is narrated by Adina Karpuch. 39-year-old Kfir Damari wrote his first computer code at age 6, and his first virus at 11. Coding, he says, is all about imagining ways to turn the impossible into the possible. It's like meditation, trying to think about a challenge and then finding a way to solve that. And I think that was, for me, a lot of fun. He served as a cyber officer in Shmonimataim, the IDF's famous 8200 intelligence unit, and studied telecommunications engineering in Beersheba. Upon graduation, he moved to Tel Aviv and started teaching in a local college. But really, he was searching for a challenge. And on a chilly night in November 2010, 
that challenge fell right into his lap. He was alone in his apartment and procrastinating on social media. Then I saw Facebook posts uh, by someone called Yarif Bash. We were like Facebook friends. We didn't know each other too much. The post began with a simple question, which immediately drew him in. Who wants to go to the moon? Who wants to go to the moon? Me, Kfir immediately thought to himself. On the other side of that post was Yariv Bash, a 30-year-old electrical engineer looking for his next big idea. Yariv ran a camp called Machanet, an annual three-day event for what he calls crazy people. Members from all branches of Israel's security and intelligence forces who gather to simply have fun. Machanet's one rule, you have to work on a project that's smart and useless. Each year, he tried to outdo himself. President Shimon Peres had headlined the 2010 camp, which was a big hit, but left Yariv with a serious problem. Expectations for the 2011 conference were sky high. Then we said, okay, what can we do next year that's going to be as amazing as bringing the president to visit us? Yariv went over to a friend's house to brainstorm some ideas. Then he told me, well, you're not thinking big enough. What about the Google Lunar X Prize? Google's Lunar X Prize Race to the Moon was already well underway. In fact, it had been announced three years earlier. And I told him, ah, you're crazy. Sending a spacecraft to the moon, that's, that's you know, 10 orders of magnitude bigger than what I had in mind. But a seed of an idea was planted in his brain. And uh, as I was strolling the uh, streets of Tel Aviv back home, I asked myself, well, if I'd open an Israeli team, how should I name it? And that night I registered the spaceil.com domain name. And I also posted on my Facebook wall, uh-huh. who wants to go to the moon? That's the post Phil came across. Excited, he decided to message Yariv. And I just told him, you know, if you're serious, I'm in. In many ways, Kfir and Yariv were cut from the same cloth. They both had that essential mix of intelligence, ambition, and just enough delusion to think they could face impossible odds. I mean, after all, they were talking about entering... A competition. Building something that was never done before. Not in Israel and not anywhere in the world. A few days later, Kfir got into his car and drove to a small bar in Hulon for the inaugural meeting of Space IL. We sat outside in a small table, three chairs, the three of us. Yariv promptly introduced Kfir to the third musketeer, Yonatan, who looked like he might be too young to be in a bar at all. I'm uh, Yonatan Weintraub, PhD candidate at Stanford. That's now. But back in 2010, long before he went to Stanford, Yonatan was a 22-year-old intern at the Israeli Aerospace Institute. The three of them quickly assigned roles. Yonatan uh, is our space engineer. Yariv is an electronic engineer. I'm the communication system engineer. With that out of the way, the entire team planning to launch Israel into outer space got to work. And so although we were in a bar, we are still engineers and we had graph paper and we took it out and we started drawing a plan. As the alcohol level in our blood basically rose, we became more and more determined to actually execute this mission. Pushing aside empty pint glasses and soggy coasters, they started scribbling down some rocket science equations. Then I think we moved really quickly to understanding the challenge that we're talking about. They completed some initial calculations and, as people do in a bar, discussed the big questions. How big would the rover be? How much fuel would it need? Was any of this even remotely possible? Slowly, an idea began to take shape. 
they envisioned a spaceship that was less Millennium Falcon and more R2-D2. Well, even smaller, really. About the size of a Coca-Cola bottle. The size of a Coke bottle. Very cheap and very easy to make instead of a billion-dollar mission. Chalk it up to it being late at night, or more likely, to the beer, but... We realized, okay, so we think it's doable. It's crazy, but it's doable. As the trio folded up their graph paper and closed out their tab at the Hulon bar, teams around the world were already busy building prototypes. It'd be wrong to say Space AL was late to the party. It was dead last to the party. Chairs on the tables, the barman mopping the floor under your feet kind of late. But that, they quickly learned, wasn't even their greatest problem. See, to even register for the contest, teams had to submit $50,000 and a full set of blueprints by midnight, December 31st, 2010. Kfir, Yonatan, and Yariv had exactly six weeks. It took 400,000 people and 12% of the national budget for America to get to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy. Jonathan, Yariv, and Kfir, on the other hand, were trying to squeeze it in after their day jobs. I was working as a lecturer in a, a college in Israel, and the rest of the week, beside my girlfriend, uh, was about working on the spacecraft. They didn't have enough time to drop full blueprints. So, in good old Israeli fashion, they winged it, bringing the chutzpah and can-do attitude of the pioneers and kibbutzniks into the realm of astrophysics and space exploration. We needed a graphic designer to do like a mock-up of the idea that we came up in the bar. Like we needed to make it as tangible as possible, although we didn't have a lot. And of course, there was the thorny issue of the 50 grand. So we started meeting people and talking about funding. It was long before the days of online crowdfunding campaigns. So they approached friends, family, anyone they could think of, and asked for money. Something about their naivete, their hubris, and their passion was apparently irresistible. Eventually, we got people that were excited Donations started coming in, but as the submission deadline approached, they didn't know if they'd be able to raise enough cash. On December 30th, they had... Something like $30,000 in the account, and lots of promises, and even faxes from the uh, different uh, donors claiming that they've sent us the money and it should appear in the bank. Faxed promises on December 30th. Not the most reassuring of things. December 31st, it was a Friday morning. We rushed to the bank and banks are, most branches aren't opened on, on Friday morning. In ours, we just, you know, set up a bank account like a week before. <laughs> and we got to the bank and there were like $52,000 in the account. Cha-ching! The moon never seemed closer. After we just wired transfer that, we went to the restaurant outside. And like we said, the three of us, it was, whoa, it, this just happened. <laughs> But if raising the money had been a giant leap, now there was just one small step separating the founders from the $20 million prize. You know, actually building a spaceship that could fly to the moon. We'll be right back. And now, back to our episode. We're hearing the story of Space IL, 
who in the absolute last moment managed to get their act together and enter the Lunar X Prize contest. But if drawing up some blueprints and raising 50 grand were a surmountable challenge, now they actually had to get to the moon. Okay, back to Adina. Once Space AL was officially registered in the competition, Kfir, Yonatan, and Yariv quickly assembled a small team of lovable nerds, most of whom were amateurs and hobbyists, to help them build a rocket ship. We thought, you know, why not? That's Yoav Orot, a software engineer, and one of the first recruits to the Space IL team. Other early team members were engineering students or had entry-level jobs in high-tech companies. But what they lacked in experience, they more than made up for, with an almost childlike enthusiasm. You know, it's like, it's fucking being in space. I mean, it was for me, it was mind-blowing. Sure, they were talking about the moon after all. You sit almost every night, uh, but it feels in a way so close and yet so far. Meanwhile, the Space IL volunteer team continued to grow. Their meetings moved from living rooms to coffee shops to bars to garages. Ideas came and went, and the Coke-sized spaceship design changed daily. We couldn't make it as small as a Coca-Cola bottle, and one of the reasons is you require a lot of fuel to get to the moon. They needed to add more fuel tanks, so back they went to the drawing board. And we moved from one tank to two tanks. And then again. To four tanks. And again. To bigger four tanks. We had to find each and every time the leanest way to solve the problems, and we needed to be creative. Slowly but surely, the outlines of the ship emerged. It would sort of look like a water boiler welded onto a tripod. Not the most elegant of spaceships, perhaps, but simple and functional. Or at least, that was the hope. When you're getting into the details, it's become more and more complicated. There were all types of design challenges and technical challenges and computational challenges. And looming above it all, funding challenges. Yariv spent much of his time meeting with private investors. When you have to spend roughly $100 million to get to the moon, a reasonable investor would ask you, okay, but what do I get in return for those $100 million? From the investor's point of view, he heard again and again, going to the moon is just bad business. So the heads of Space IL decided to reframe the ask. Instead of focusing on how exploring the moon could be profitable, they began asking, How can exploring the moon be valuable? The short answer, education. There's something much bigger than landing on the moon. And that thing is to use that moment in order to show kids that science is exciting and that they can do amazing things with it. The founders imagined using the competition as a way of igniting an Israeli space craze, much like NASA's Gemini and Apollo programs had done for a generation of young Americans in the 50s and 60s. They began a massive educational blitz. And you can see the spark in their eyes, both of the kids, but also for the Holocaust survivor. Uh, and it's amazing. Israel is going to get to the moon and going to land there. This inspirational and educational message seemed to land with investors. But the question still remained. Could their spaceship? 
In July 2011, after months and months of revised blueprints and scratched prototypes, everyone felt it was time to test the components of what would eventually fly to the moon. So what we decided to do was shoot a missile. In order to simulate a lunar landing, they needed to shoot the prototype high up into the air and see if it could withstand the fall. We said to ourselves, um, okay, cool, so how do we build a missile? Except that shooting a missile in Israel, well, you have to be careful not to inadvertently start a war. I said missile, yes. And yes, in Israel, shooting a missile, it's, well, not something that you would want to do unless you want, you know, to mess with, with the IDF or something. So... <laughs> Um, in order to shoot a missile, you need all kinds of, like, permits. Countless forms and mind-numbing meetings later, they got permission to attempt a single launch. One place, one time. It would be Space IL's only chance to experiment. This was yet another example of just how behind Space IL really was. By this point, other teams around the world had worked for years with experienced rocket scientists and launched several tests. Now, no one on the team knew how to do everything. So the launch experiment became kind of a missile potluck. Some engineering students volunteered to make the engines. Someone else pitched in to cook up the fuel. He made the fuel in his uh, home bath, okay? He took and mixed like all kinds of like fuels and put it in the fridge or something. I'm happy that I didn't live in the same neighborhood as he did. On launch day, the missile was still in pieces. And we just then started like putting all the pieces together. That night, they were as ready as a group of Israeli millennials who cobbled together a rocket from hardware store parts and moonshine rocket fuel wherever going to be. It was a clear and cold night. 11 p.m. turned to midnight, midnight to one. They were all nervous, but they knew it was time to set out for the site that had been cleared for this homemade blast off. So we said, it's now whenever. They all loaded into their cars, or in some cases, the cars they borrowed from their parents, and headed towards the Beit Sha'an Valley. Then, as Kfir recalls, they immediately ran into a very Space IL kind of problem. On the way, I got a message from Yariv that we're missing one of the batteries. The entire experiment hinged on one missing battery. But, well, that was nothing a gas station pit stop couldn't solve. In the last gas station before the site itself, they actually found there uh, the right battery. At 6 a.m., all was set to go. Everyone got in position, or at least what they thought should be their position. Yoav and some others hid behind a car. It was our shelter. Kfir Yariv and Yonatan, like Space Force generals, watched from the top of a nearby hill. And we were communicating with walkie-talkies and counting down. And I heard like this very loud noise. There was like the white trail. And eventually you don't see the rocket itself. In the recording of the launch, you can hear a voice that says it all. In Hebrew, like, that's not true. But it was true. They had pulled it off. And not only was the launch a smashing success, the landing technology they were testing worked perfectly. Space AL, they all thought as they drove home, might actually have a chance.
a lot has happened since that night in 2011. The original deadline for the Google Lunar X Prize was the end of 2014. None of the teams made that deadline, which was subsequently pushed first to 2017 and then again to March 2018. Most of the teams dropped out of the race at one point or another. Others chose to join forces. But throughout it all, Space IL, the scrappy new kid on the lunar block, matured. They got some grown-ups in the room, hired a CEO, raised tens of millions of dollars, and became the serious operation most of us have heard of. Jonathan left for Stanford in 2014, but Kfir and Yariv stayed on as senior officers. They, and the hundreds of Space IL volunteers, also made good on their educational mission and spoke at schools all the way from Metula to Eilat. So there was one time that I did a lecture in a school in Ranana, and beside the fact that around 40 kids came and told me good luck or shook my hand, one of them asked for my autograph. What's amazing about that is not that it was like me personally, it's about the fact that, you know, I or anyone else can stand on stage and say, hi, I'm an engineer, and that kid comes and asks for an autograph. This is what we want to do. But autographs will only get you so far. Despite the multiple deadline extensions, by early 2018, no team had claimed victory in the Lunar X contest. On January 23rd, the prize's directors announced that the prize would go unclaimed. The 20 million were off the table, and the X prize became, essentially, an X prize. With the prize money now gone, the Space IL Board of Directors soon voted to abort the mission and wind down its operations. As they said in a brief press release, there was no longer any point in going to the moon. It was a disappointing end to a long and unexpected journey. Just kidding. I mean, what kind of a story would that be? And besides, does that sound like something a team of dreamers set on sending a Coke bottle to the moon would ever do? Of course not! Prize or no prize, there was no turning back for Space IL, even after the cash competition ended. On April 12, 2019, Yariv, Jonathan, Kfir, Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, and a gaggle of engineers sat in a control room at the Israeli Aerospace Industry HQ in Yehud. It was close to midnight, and the room quieted down as the lunar lander, christened Bereshit, prepared for its final descent. We have passed the point of no return. We are in the landing process. The spacecraft they had built and perfected over nearly a decade now beamed its data from just above the lunar surface, through 384,000 kilometers of space and onto the large screens in the control room. The altitude numbers were steadily falling. The engine readings were encouraging. So we are in the braking process. The braking process is working well. The spacecraft is doing exactly what it's supposed to do right now. And then, all of a sudden, it wasn't. We seem to have a problem with our main engine. We are resetting the spacecraft to try to enable the engine. The lander's vertical speed was increasing too quickly. One display was turning from green to yellow to red. We have the main engine back on. For a brief moment, it seemed like everything was back on track. No, but it's not. 
no, no. Then, nothing. The main engine is back on, but we have lost communication with the spacecraft. Inside the control room, the altitude reading was frozen at 149 meters. The descent at 134 meters per second. Anyone could do the math. Space IL's Bereshit had just crashed and exploded onto the surface of the moon. From the very beginning, the founders knew that failure was a real possibility. When you're doing something impossible, you need to accept the option of failure. Because if you don't accept the option of failure, you will never do like the, the next step. Just before the fateful launch, the Space IL team had released a children's book called The Little Spacecraft. Here's Kfir reading its first page. Dedicated to the little dreamers, the girls and boys who dare, who try, who fail and try again, to the ones who aspire to reach new places far beyond the horizon, and to their parents who instill in them the confidence to know that no matter if they succeed or fail, they will always have a safe place to land. The last transmission Bereshit sent back to Earth was a selfie. Against the backdrop of the silvery-white lunar soil, then just a few hundred meters away, is a small blue and white flag engraved with the words Am Israel Chai, and another sentence in English. Small country, big dreams. And that, frankly, is close enough to a moonshot for me. Adina Karpuch. Judah Kaufman reported and wrote that story, which was edited by Joel Shupak. As I'm sure many of you know, almost immediately after Bereshit crashed, SpaceIL announced it would begin working on Bereshit 2. If all goes according to plan, it's supposed to land on the moon in 2024. And that, dear listeners, is our episode. Zev Levi scored and sound designed it, with music from Blue Dot Sessions. Sela Weissblum created the mix. Thanks to Naor Menninger and Eitan Weinstein from the Two Nice Jewish Boys podcast, who allowed us to use some clips of their interview with Yariv Bash. Thanks also to Achyad Ovadia and Rona Cohen-Morad from the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, and to Harry Sultan, Esti Rosen, Idoan Tebi, Igal Arel, Wayne Hoffman, Esther Werdiger, Sheila Lambert, Erica Frederick, Jeff Fag, and Joy Levitt. You can catch up on all our past episodes on our site, israelstory.org, or by searching for Israel Story wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all under Israel Story. Lastly, if you're interested in sponsoring episodes of Israel Story, email us at sponsor at israelstory.org. Our staff includes Yochai Meital, Zev Levi, Yoshi Fields, Skylar Inman, Nomi Schneider, Adina Karpuch, Eli Blyer, Sharon Rapaport, and Rotem Tzin. Tanya Huyard and Matthew Littman are wonderful production interns. Jeff Umbro and Jesse Adler from the Paglomerate, our marketing team. I'm Ishi Harman, and we'll be back next time with a brand new Israel Story episode. So till then, Shalom Shalom, and Yalla Bye. Tu vale lo maquillaje